These people are, are fleeing uh, communism, as we have said, uh, as you heard DHS say as well. F falling authoritarian regimes in Venezuela, as Nicaragua, and Cuba are causing a new migration uh, challenge across the Western Hemisphere. It is impossible to talk about migration in the Americas without talking about imperialism. In the case of Venezuela, that means talking about sanctions and the efforts by Washington to use unilateral coercive measures to prompt regime change to oust the government of Nicolás Maduro. With the issue of Venezuelan migration to the U.S. in the headlines lately, you would think that there would be a sincere effort to understand the root causes of that migration. Instead, what we've seen is the deliberate manipulation of the issue for political ends. This is perhaps best encapsulated by the comments by the White House propagandist, Corinne Jean-Pierre, that we heard at the beginning of the program, claiming that instead of being forced to migrate because of the collective punishment imposed on the population, they are fleeing, quote-unquote, communism. The reality is, people are being forced to leave the country because of the very real hardships caused by U.S. sanctions. In other words, because of imperialism. Welcome to the Venezuela Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Luis Granado Ceja. The Venezuela Analysis Podcast brings independent, on-the-ground, English-language coverage of Venezuela and the Bolivarian process. You'll hear news and in-depth analysis about the country, as well as coverage of leftist and grassroots forces. On today's program, we're unpacking the myths and revealing the truth about Venezuelan human mobility. While coverage of Venezuela in the mainstream media is notoriously poor, when it comes to migration, it has been flat-out dishonest. By deliberately distorting the issue, the corporate media propaganda effort not only serves to hide the devastating impact of U.S. policy on people's lives, it also helps advance imperialism's strategic goals. By laying the blame on the economic crisis driving migration solely at the feet of the government, the media feeds this narrative that the Maduro government is unable to even adequately attend to the needs of the population. That narrative helps craft this notion that foreign intervention in the country's affairs is urgent and necessary. We should be clear, people are leaving Venezuela. Millions of families have had no choice but to seek opportunity elsewhere. But when it comes to ascertaining how many have left, it is difficult to even know the exact figures because of the political manipulation of the issue. Venezuelan human rights organization SURES calculates that around 5.4 million people have migrated since the imposition of sanctions on the country while other sources put the number at over 7 million. You may be wondering why the huge disparity in figures. First of all, when it comes to migration, it is notoriously difficult to determine precise numbers. But more importantly, there is a deliberate effort to exaggerate the figure. Higher numbers paint a grim picture, but there are also people profiting from the suffering of Venezuelan migrants. On the one hand, you have the opposition politicians and their allies and foreign governments capitalizing on the issue to advance their agenda. And on the other hand, Huge sums of money have been mobilized, channeled into the nonprofit industrial complex, in order to purportedly attend to the needs of migrants. To talk about those who are attempting to profit from the challenge of Venezuelan migration, the role of U.S. regime change efforts, and what can be done to truly attend to the needs of migrants, we speak with Daimar Martes, an anthropologist and researcher with Venezuelan human rights organization SURES. But first, a conversation with Venezuelan analysis Andrina Chavez about her and her family's own story of migration and the need to confront the distorted narrative being put forward 
by politicians and media outlets. Hi, Andreina. As always, it's good to have you here on the program. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to start with, I guess, a bit of a confession. I suppose I shouldn't be shocked, I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. Every time I read a piece about Venezuelan migration and they assign blame solely on the Venezuelan government. And the most recent example actually came from this week. It was a story in the New York Times about the journey that some are taking through the Darien, which is that piece of territory in between Panama and Colombia that is notoriously difficult to cross. It's a very rainy area, very muddy area, historically one of the toughest places for humans to access. And in that piece, the author says of the people who've been using this journey to reach the United States, quote, the people crossing the Darien this year are overwhelmingly Venezuelans, many of them worn down by years of economic calamity under an authoritarian government, end quote. And that's it. That's all they say in terms of why people from Venezuela are leaving. Now, you, as someone who was personally forced to leave the country as a result of the economic situation, how does it make you feel when you see stories like this or so many others that quite literally never once mention the word sanctions? Hello, Jose Luis. It is good to talk to you again. And... I'm glad that we are doing something about migration because I think we've we've wanted to do this for a while, but it is a complex subject to talk about. And yeah, I agree. I I think well, for me personally, most of the time I feel angry and I feel like corporate media is constantly trying to take away our voice as Venezuelans, to take away our voice as a nation, and to manipulate our reality. Because, I mean, let's face it, their job is not journalism. Their job is to help advance uh, this political agenda that the people in power in the U.S. have for Venezuela. So it, it is true. I mean, in every piece that I've seen from outlets like the New York Times and many others, like the one you just mentioned, when they write about Venezuela's economic crisis and it's especially about migration, not only do these so-called journalists seem to ignore how deadly U.S. sanctions have been for Venezuela and continue to be for Venezuela, but, you know, they also completely ignore how these measures have been the main force, like the main reason why Venezuela is going through an economic crisis and why people have been forced to migrate. You know, uh, and I mean, and yes, this, this actually uh, affected me personally because every single member of my family had to migrate because they needed to find a way to survive this, this situation. And I did it myself, and well, then I came back. But yeah, I mean, I think media intentionally forgets to connect the dots. You know, Venezuela's migration only took off once the economic war against our country began like began in full force in 2017. And that is when Washington imposed Sanchez against PDVSA, against the oil industry. And this was immediately followed by blocking every other aspect of the Venezuelan economy. So our country was quite literally put under an economic blockade simply for choosing a political path and, and you know, in a government that doesn't align with Washington's uh, colonialist design for Latin America. So yes, many Venezuelans, 
including myself, chose to migrate as a way to survive this very difficult situation. And, and this is what I talk about in this article that I recently published on Venezuela Analysis. I confess that I, I specifically wanted to make sure that people understood how Venezuelans were indeed escaping from extremely difficult economic and living conditions and how U.S. sanctions were the main cause, the main reason behind this. It was an economic war and it was incredibly effective in killing people. It continues to be effective in killing people and making our lives very difficult. And, you know, I would like to add that uh, this is not the first time the mainstream media ha has done it, uh, has done this sort of thing. They also uh, very intentionally always forget to always forget the history of economic wars that Washington has unleashed against other countries like Chile, like Cuba and Nicaragua. Venezuela is just the latest target. Yeah, and it's such a deeply cynical move. It's an effort to try to distort the reality on the ground, but also to manipulate the public. You know, obviously, many of us, I've worked on the issue of migration. I'm a migrant myself. I've been migrating since I was two years old. Obviously, we sympathize with people who are forced to leave their countries of origin and not by choice. And you're talking about this piece that, that we recently published. Uh, I found it to be uh, quite a good account. I encourage our listeners to, to go to our website and read it. It's a firsthand account of the experience of you and your family. And in that piece, you describe the efforts of U.S. imperialism to coerce the Venezuelan population through sanctions as, quote, Washington's economic terrorism and, quote, collective punishment. With Venezuelan migrants now arriving in larger quantities in the U.S. southern border, is the human mobility that we're witnessing an act of resistance? Or do you consider this to be an instance of the chickens coming home to roost, of the effects of U.S. sanctions finally coming back in a boomerang effect and literally knocking on the door of the U.S.? Is it possible for it to be both of these things at the same time? Yes, it is possible that it is both, and I think it is definitely both. Uh, I, I mean, I, it is a reality that thousands of Venezuelans are having a difficult time in countries they migrated to like years ago. And, and Venezuela is yet to experience a true economic recovery, you know, despite all these recent improvements that we've seen since last year. So many people are choosing to migrate for a second time. And, and they're, also, they're looking for stability because they haven't found that in Latin America. And, and many of them are now traveling to the United States. That is true. But I, I truly believe that this second migration wave continues to be a direct consequence of the economic sanctions, which Washington refuses to eliminate, despite all the evidence that these are causing this migration wave, and that even more than that, that sanctions have been have been known to to be crimes against humanity. So I think the only difference now is, you know, in this new migration that we're seeing is that now Venezuelans want to enter the U.S. You know, like I said, they're looking for some sort of stability. And, you know, on top of that, Venezuela and the U.S. have no diplomatic ties, uh, you know, because Washington decided that they wanted to support the so-called 
interim government. And that, made it, that has made it all the more difficult to deal with this migrant situation. That's why we, we have seen people being deported to other countries like Colombia, and they are being left there to their own devices, which is quite inhumane. So yeah, I think it is both. I think it is both a consequence of the ongoing U.S. sanctions, and also it is, a, like you say, boomerang effect, because they cause this incredibly harsh economic situation here in Venezuela, which forced people to migrate. And on top of that, people, of course, we, we know that the situation in general in Latin America is also very difficult. So Venezuelans, uh, many Venezuelans are not yet convinced that they can come back. So they are going, they're trying to look for some sort of stability. And some people think that is the U.S., which is a valid choice to do. Yeah, oftentimes when there's discussion in the public about migration, the opponents of people who are engaged in human mobility will say, well, they should stay in their countries and try to fix things. But you say that it's also an example of resistance. Why do you think it's also resistance? Yeah, it is because when you know when when you you're living in a country that is quite literally being attacked every single day, in and it is being forced to uh, to practically survive under circumstances that are very similar to a country that is in an actual war. You know, uh, people need to find ways to survive and many people have chosen to stay you know many people have stayed here and we have seen amazing examples of resistance right here in venezuela we've seen it with popular organizations we've seen it with communes where people have found ways to to succeed despite these harsh economic conditions but we also have to understand that not, not everyone not everyone can can do that it is it's something that is very difficult and for most people, there was a moment in time from 2017 to 2018 when what made more sense was to migrate. Many people had some connection in some countries, like, for example, my family, my mom was born in Ecuador. So that sort of connection made it, made it, made it a little more easy to make that decision. And so, yeah, I think that either staying or leaving, I think we are all simply trying to survive and resisting and a situation that is very new for everyone. So, yeah, I, I do believe that migration is also a, a heroic form in which we can resist the, this economic world that we absolutely do not deserve. Absolutely. You know, humankind has a right to survive and they need to do it by any means necessary up to and including also the human right to migrate. You know, it's interesting, though, because history has proven that U.S. authorities are simply unwilling to admit the role that they play, that the role that their policies play in driving migration. I've done a lot of solidarity work with Honduras, for example, since the coup d'etat against Mansolaya in 2009. So it's an issue that I know quite well. And similarly, in that case, they could never admit that their support for Juan Orlando Hernandez and his dictatorship was one of the main reasons why a few years ago, the highest numbers of people that we were seeing arriving to the U.S. were coming from Honduras. But instead of seeing some kind of contrition, we see the opposite. I won't ever forget how the White House spokesperson tried to claim that migrants were fleeing communism. 
I wanted to ask you, what do you think can be done about this deliberate effort to try to take advantage of people's suffering in order to push this political agenda? Yeah, well, that, that is absolutely true, Jose Luis. I mean, the U.S. government, U.S. officials uh, and their media, they have used migration to push these propaganda about people escaping from communist hell. And like you say, it can be quite funny, but at the same time, it's such a dangerous propaganda, you know. And in Venezuela's case, it's interesting because, you know, one aspect about migration is that people have also chosen to return, especially since 2020 when the pandemic happened. And then in 2021, because of Venezuela's slight economic recovery, you know, the, this economic recovery sort of gave people hope they could, they thought they could bring some savings and maybe start a business, you know, it was like a second chance, so to speak. But this reverse migration was completely ignored by the media, by U.S. officials, because, you know, on what planet do people choose to return to live under a communist dictatorship, under a communist hell? So it doesn't fit that agenda. It doesn't fit that narrative that they had. So, I mean, if you ask me what can be done to face this campaign that capitalizes on people's suffering to push political agendas, I think in our case as journalists, uh, we need to continue pushing back as we do on Venezuela analysis every day. We need to continue exposing mainstream media lines. We need to continue telling people, you know, these are the reasons why people are migrating. We have all these sanctions that have been imposed since, well, if we are honest, since 2015, and we have all these attacks against Venezuela. So we need to continue giving the Venezuelan people as many platforms as we can so they can tell their stories of survival and resistance against the U.S. economic war, whether that is by staying in Venezuela or by migrating. Absolutely. And remember that there are humans behind this. There are people who are genuinely suffering and that they wouldn't find themselves in this situation if the right of Venezuelans to determine their own political future had actually been respected. And I think that's why it's important that we also always maintain those anti-imperialist principles to ensure that the right of nations to self-determination is respected, that just because a government that is not in line with Washington is elected, that they aren't subjected to this collective punishment. I want to thank you so much, as always, for, for joining us and sharing your personal experience and your personal story of migration. I know that these can be difficult subjects, so I'm really grateful for you being on the program with us once again. I'm very grateful to have shared this with you and with everyone who is listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Andreina Chavez, staff writer with Venezuela Analysis. And now to chaos erupting near the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas on Monday. Authorities say Border Patrol agents in El Paso fired pepper balls at a crowd of migrants after a border agent was assaulted. The alleged attack happened as a group of Venezuelan nationals were demonstrating along the Rio Grande River international boundary. In our next segment, we will speak with Daiman Martes, anthropologist and researcher with Venezuelan human rights organization SURES, which has extensively covered the issue, regularly publishing reports on the topic based on on-the-ground research. Thank you so much for being here with us. Recently, we saw the issue of Venezuelan migration make headlines. In October, the U.S. government announced a new policy stating that any Venezuelan who enters the United States irregularly will be expelled. The accompanying press release painted a serious and urgent situation. Almost 
an unprecedented situation. But this same policy also only provides 24,000 permits for Venezuelan migrants to enter legally. This is also in addition to the fact that the data indicates that migration flow is actually slowing down. We know that migration is due to economic conditions above all, but there's also manipulation of the issue, a kind of propagandistic use that aims to create this idea of a major crisis. What is the aim of this effort? to create the idea that there is a displacement crisis. Bueno, muchas gracias por la invitación a este espacio, José Luis. Sobre esta primera pregunta, creo que es la First of all, José Luis, thanks for the invitation to take part in this space. Concerning your first question, I think this is a key angle or the central analysis element to understand the ebbs and flows of human mobility in Venezuela which we began to see take off in 2015. Analyzing the discourse around the issue of migration and looking at statements from high-ranking officials in the Donald Trump administration on the matter, our human rights organization, SURES, has corroborated the political use of migration. This has been a central element, a driving force in the regime change strategy implemented against the Venezuelan government against the Nicolas Maduro government, especially between 2015 and 2019. Migration began to appear in the public discourse, in the public opinion, in late 2014, early 2015. That coincides with the first coercive measure, or sanctions, applied against Venezuela, the first executive order, number 13692. And that is when high-profile, multilateral actors like the UN Refugee Agency and the International Organization for Migration, start talking about a massive migration, an exodus, which was a term they used, of Venezuelan people to other countries in the region, mainly to Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Now we understand that migration has been a tool, as I have already mentioned, to assist in the regime change effort. It has been instrumentalized to build an image of Venezuela internationally as a failed state, of a government that is unable to govern, unable to promote public policies in favor of its population, of a government that systematically violates human rights. In other words, it was the creation of a campaign to make a humanitarian intervention viable. All of this in air quotes, of course, to intervene and oust the president. In 2019, we saw that the effort to oust the president was done with the aim of replacing him with a lawmaker who proclaimed himself president, Juan Guaido. This discourse was utilized with greater vigor between 2015 and 2019. It is still in place, and now in different terms, from a different perspective. So from the point of view of Suarez, this is the analysis we make of the discourse surrounding Venezuelan migration. I think it is important to underscore that Venezuela has historically been a country that has hosted large migratory flows and has not been a driver of migrant flows. In fact, the largest Colombian community in the region is in Venezuela. Colombians fled the internal conflict, which is a situation that this country is unfortunately going through. They entered Venezuela and Venezuela has recognized their refugee status. And in addition to this rhetorical effort to paint Venezuela as a failed country before the international community, the veracity of migration numbers 
has been a topic of debate and permanent discussion. There is an authority called the R4V, an authority that was constituted in 2018. And this is a legitimate authority delegated by the United Nations to manage the issue of Venezuelan migration. According to this body's latest report, the total number of Venezuelans abroad is now up to 7.1 million. Out of these, 80%, again, according to this source, are in Latin America and the Caribbean. However, if we review the methodology used to systematize and quantify this data, we see that these researchers themselves recognize that there are causes of double and triple counting of people. That is, there are people who enter through the borders of Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru, but who do not necessarily settle there and are counted both when entering and leaving. These are migrants who moved onto another country. Venezuelan returnees are not subtracted from this figure either. Additionally, the process of Venezuelan migrants returning to their homeland began to pick up steam at the end of 2019 and was exacerbated in the context of the pandemic. At this point, the fact that Venezuelans were returning to their country was so undeniable that Colombian authorities at that time were compelled to begin documenting those numbers. However, this is not talked about. It is not an issue that we see covered in the media. There are no reports from multilateral organizations highlighting this phenomenon. This serves to demonstrate the biased handling of the issue of Venezuelan human mobility, which has a political basis aimed at making the international community believe that there are 7 million Venezuelans abroad. It is very clear. And when we review the figures of the Return to the Homeland Plan, a government plan that aids returnees, we see that there is a very long list of people who want to return to their country of origin, and this is not a coincidence. It is also important to add that there has indeed been a process of emigration, but it is due to two objective elements. First, the U.S. sanctions policy against Venezuela aimed at triggering regime change through the weakening of the national economy. Sanctions have been directed against the country's main industry, oil, which generates 90% of Venezuelan's foreign currency. And as a second element, between 2015 and 2017, there was also an open-door policy directed at Venezuelan migrants. What do I mean by this? Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, and Brazil promised Venezuelans they could come over to find good wages, good public services, the possibility of having job opportunities, and the possibility of regularizing their status. None of these promises, or very few of them, were actually fulfilled. A report released by R4V at the end of 2021 revealed that more than 60% of Venezuelan migrants in Latin America do not have the means to eat three meals daily. A large number are forced into prostitution in order to survive. They're destitute because they do not have the means to pay for their basic needs. In addition, there have been outbreaks of xenophobia and discrimination that have left Venezuelan migrants very vulnerable. You mentioned these specific policies that encourage Venezuelan migration. And of course, this is nothing new. It reminds me of the one-time U.S. policy with regard to Cuban migration, the wet foot, dry foot policy that the Cuban government always denounces as an effort to drive migration. Yet in September, the White House spokeswoman used language that was a throwback to the Cold War. She claimed that the rise of people trying to cross the U.S. southern border was owed to Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans fleeing, quote-unquote, communism. 
How do we then make sense of these scenes of Venezuelan migrants looking to enter the U.S. and being repressed by the Border Patrol? We're recording this in the first week of November, and we just saw Venezuelan migrants with a giant flag being heavily repressed close to the border. How can we explain these images? If there was previously an open-door policy, what explains what we're seeing now? Bueno, yo creo que puede eh, entenderse desde el enfoque de que la migración ha sido un recurso empleado. I think we can make sense of it if we keep in mind that migration has been a tool used by the U.S. foreign policy apparatus against its enemy targets, particularly against these three countries, these three governments that have not bowed down to Washington's foreign policy, have not bowed down to its geopolitical interests. There has been an overrepresentation, an extreme exposure of these three countries to the detriment of the main migratory groups that have historically moved towards the United States. The Northern Triangle, the migration of Hondurans, Salvadorans, Guatemalans, and of course Mexicans. There's also been a historical movement of Haitians through the Darien jungle in Panama. But particularly in the last few years, we see that only these three countries get talked about as if human mobility only comes out of Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. There's also little to no effort to offer context, because we have to remember that the three countries are currently under economic sanctions. In other words, it is no coincidence that there are migratory flows coming out of these countries. When the United States applies economic sanctions against a country, it knows in advance what the political, economic, and humanitarian consequences will be. And it is foreseeable that there will be human mobility. Furthermore, there has been a siren call effect. There have been policies specifically geared towards these three nationalities to create a greater flow towards the United States. You were just mentioning the wet feet, dry feet policy for Cubans. For Venezuelans, there were also some policies that we could describe as the flexibilization of migratory policy. Let's recall that in March 2021, Biden renewed the temporary protected status in favor of Venezuelans. Also the day before the end of his term, Donald Trump issued a decree that limited the deportation of Venezuelans for 18 months. So these are actions that are part of what can be called a siren call. That is to say, it is a phenomenon in which a large group of irregular migrants will go to a country because there's a migration policy that has been shown to have been flexible. Now, I believe that in the context of the regime change strategy towards Venezuela, U.S. officials felt that in 2019, they were going to succeed in overthrowing President Nicolás Maduro. And they were counting on these large flows of people returning to Venezuela. That didn't happen. And currently, there's a number of Venezuelan people throughout the region, which is difficult to really know the exact number because of the political use of the figures. And there are several complications when it comes to handling this population. These people ended up in very precarious conditions in the various countries throughout the region. And during the pandemic, they opted to set out for the United States as a destination. That's why you have the current crisis of people crossing the Darien jungle, which in 2017 also coincides with Central American countries implementing migration control policies on their borders. What do I mean by this? 
These countries required visas for Venezuelans to enter, and the United States demanded that the Central American countries restrict migration flows to make it harder for people to reach its southern border. We need to realize that migration has always been a phenomenon. Now, it is going through irregular channels, very dangerous ones, such as the Darien jungle, which has been historically done. It is not new. Venezuelans did not discover it. In historical terms, it has been a passageway for Haitians, as well as African migrants. So this is the context to keep in mind when making sense of this large flux of people heading north. Y bueno, en este contexto es que se puede explicar este gran flujo de personas que se está dirigiendo hacia el norte. We have also seen a significant mobilization of resources with the stated purpose of attending this migrant population, from grandiose conferences to various public announcements committing funding. However, Suras has documented how these programs have privileged UN agencies and foreign NGOs over Venezuelan NGOs and other organizations that have on-the-ground experience and are truly working with migrants throughout their journey. How does this hoarding of funds by UN agencies and international NGOs affect the protection of migrant human rights? If the ultimate aim appears to not actually help and accompany migrants, who is benefiting from Venezuelan migration? Bueno, los datos empíricos de nuestras investigaciones, tanto las encuestas que le hemos aplicado a los venezolanos retornados en el plan. The empirical data from our research, both from surveys we've done with Venezuelans who have come back with the return to the homeland plan as well as documents we've reviewed, UN agency reports, R4V documents, and other independent publications in countries that have hosted migrants, we've reached the conclusion that over 60% of migrants have not directly benefited from these major funding initiatives that were supposedly to provide them with humanitarian assistance. In the case of Colombia alone, more than $1 billion have been handed over money that comes from the United States and Japan, as well as from other U.S. allies and partners. Venezuelan migrants have not even been able to access the process to regularize their status, which, as we know, is the first necessary step required in order to give them the possibility of accessing a dignified life, having access to work and access to services. So the use of this money has not been clear at all, I cannot tell you what has been done with that money, but we can safely say that it has not been directed towards migrants. As I have said, in recent years, the international community has given a very high degree of visibility to Venezuelan migration, to the detriment of other migratory flows that would also demand the same level of attention. For example, the case of the internally displaced Colombians, who number around 7 million. This is a long-running conflict that has undermined the Colombian social fabric. We have the case of Haiti. Haitians have suffered because of military interventions, because of climate disasters. It is a country where the population is living in terrible conditions. During the pandemic, there was discontent among the migrant communities that there was so much attention given to Venezuelans and not to other nationalities that also warranted attention. For example, Bolivians in Chile, among other communities, who have been long established in foreign countries and who also require attention. Therefore, at Suarez, we regret the politicization that has become prevalent in the handling of such a delicate issue and has imposed itself over the humanitarian perspective. And this politicization has defined the policies, discourses, actions in general 
surrounding this issue, this phenomenon. I'd actually like to close with something along these lines. We know that the phenomenon of Venezuelan migration does deserve attention. But this campaign surrounding the issue has looked to convince the public that there will be no solution without a change to the country's political situation. So my question is, what measures can be taken on an international level to truly address the issue and contribute towards defending the human rights of Venezuelans, both abroad and inside Venezuela? In other words, what can be done to address the reasons people are migrating in the first place? Bueno, yo creo que la primera medida que, que debe de, de tomarse es entrar en diálogo con el gobierno venezolano. I believe that the first measure that should be taken is direct dialogue with the Venezuelan government. We've seen that during the last few years, the Venezuelan government has been excluded from Western-driven international initiatives. In 2019, a number of countries decided not to recognize the legitimacy of President Nicolás Maduro, instead recognizing Juan Guaidó, the head of an interim government that stands outside Venezuelan institutional order it does not comply with the Constitution. And as a result, any potential dialogue to solve the issue of Venezuelan migration in bilateral or regional spaces has been ruled out. I believe that this is a necessary first step. It is also important to leave aside the politicization of foreign policy and diplomatic efforts in the region in order to generate agreements and dialogue spaces with Venezuela. While we affirm the right to migrate, there is also the right to return and the right to not have to migrate. We know of people who are abroad and who do not have the resources to return to their country of origin and instead decide to return on foot. They return through irregular crossings, through irregular routes. They risk falling prey to criminal organizations that take advantage of their needs. So I think it is important to establish a regional policy that allows the return of Venezuelans who wish to do so. In what concerns a Darien jungle crisis, I understand that Panama has begun to coordinate with Venezuela to secure the return of Venezuelans stranded there. Some 300 to 400 people have returned in recent weeks through the airport in Maiketia, and I believe it is important to begin by depoliticizing diplomacy and reaching out to the Venezuelan government. And as a second element, I personally felt that the recent meeting between Presidents Gustavo Petro and Nicolas Maduro was very good. Petro proposed to Maduro that Venezuela return to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. I think the new regional context in Latin America, with the return of Lula in Brazil, with Gustavo Petro in Colombia, Luis Arce in Bolivia, with new progressive governments across the region, I think it creates a more favorable context to depoliticize the human rights agenda and to generate a proper approach to the migration issue, an approach driven by the needs of the people who unfortunately, for different reasons, have had to leave their countries. In the Venezuelan case, these are economic above all. But for example, in Colombia, it was driven by violence. Just like in the Southern Cone a few decades ago, it was spurred by the military dictatorships. I believe this is an important step to begin an honest conversation about the subject. Thanks so much for joining us. The issue of human mobility is one that is deeply personal for me. My family left Mexico when I was a toddler, moving throughout the region several times, often due to the whims of immigration agents and systems that tried to deny us our right to mobility. 
In southern Mexico, I've walked with migrants from Central America, the African continent, and beyond. Under the hot sun, with insufficient food and water, shoes melting as they made contact with the burning asphalt. I've interviewed dozens of migrants who shared their harrowing stories of trying to find opportunity elsewhere in order to ensure their families back home can survive. In an age where we're seeing an increase in human mobility, I believe we must firmly defend the human right to migrate. But we must also defend the right not to migrate, to reject unilateral coercive measures like the ones that have been applied against Venezuela that have wreaked havoc on the country's economy, leaving millions with no choice but to leave. The situation we are witnessing in the country today did not have to happen. It is a product of political decisions in imperialist countries. Venezuelans continue to be punished because they dared to elect a government that said no to Washington. As anti-imperialists, we have a responsibility to resist, and through that resistance, help deliver some reprieve to those who suffer at the hands of U.S. imperialism. That's our program for today. Be sure to visit us at venezuelanalysis.com for regular news and analysis on all things Venezuela. We're also everywhere on social media, from Telegram to Instagram, and of course, Twitter. If you enjoyed the program, please share it with your friends. It really helps us out. We'll end today's episode with the song Sudaca Soy by Ivan Perez Rossi. Una tierra cálida te abrió su corazón, te cobijó en su seno y te brindó su amor. Fue triste tu partida, días de muerte, odio y rencor. Para Franco tú no eras nada, por la gracia de Dios. Una tierra cálida te abrió su corazón, te cobijó en su seno y te brindó su amor. Triste tu partida, días de muerte, odio y rencor. Para Franco tú no eras nada, por la gracia de Dios. Y aquí echaste raíces, tu familia creció. Con tus nuevos amigos, tu esfuerzo y tu sudor. Y a tus hijos y nietos les dimos educación. Y todos son gente de bien, les decimos doctor. Y aquí echaste raíces, tu familia creció, con tus nuevos amigos, tu esfuerzo y tu sudor. Y a tus hijos y nietos les dimos educación, y todos son gente de bien, les decimos doctor. Sudaca, sudaca soy Y la miseria humana te convierte en inquisidor Hoy me llamas sudaca, sudaca soy Morelos, Juárez, Petión, Libertadores, Sudaca 
caso. Yo soy sudaca, como Simón, y no me ofende sudaca soy. Benedetti, Borges y el Gabo, luces y letras sudaca son. Yo soy sudaca, como Simón, y no me ofende sudaca soy. Sandino, Fidel y el Che, la lucha sigue sudaca son. Yo soy sudaca, como Simón, y no me ofende sudaca soy. Los asesinos de García Lorca y Miguel Hernández sudaca son. Yo soy sudaca como Simón y no me ofende sudaca soy. Yo soy sudaca como Simón y no me ofende sudaca soy. Yo soy sudaca como Simón y no me ofende sudaca soy. Yo soy sudaca como Simón y no me ofende sudaca soy.